The next couple of uh, times that I share with you, I'm going to be talking about David, the wounded son. And today I'm going to set up uh, really uh, the teaching for the next next time. So just, fo- oh yes, the kids, see ya. Thank you. That's why we pay you the big bucks to remind me. I have it right here in my notes, in bold, dismiss children. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to put it in larger print, Greg. Put it as part of the song. <laughs> dismiss the children. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, but I'm still going to teach the next couple of times on David the Wounded. Dismiss children. All right. Anyway, it's David the Wounded Son, part of the I Am David series. Uh, David, in, in many ways, is my hero. The Bible, as we've talked about, says that he was a, a man after God's own heart. One of the four people in Scripture that is mentioned having a perfect heart, and it's kind of hard to understand how a person can have a perfect heart and do some of the things that he did. But but he was always quick to respond when confronted with his sin with Bathsheba. He didn't come up with a story. He didn't create some. Well, you know, but you know, she shouldn't have been naked on the roof. He he came up. He owned it. And uh, Psalm fifty one is really his response to that. Uh, But I want to submit to you today, uh, David's skills as a father were poor. Why would I say that? (laughs) Yeah, because he had kid trouble. Um, We we all have trouble with our kids, but you you see repetitive things. And so uh, in your notes, poor Chris, he's going to try to fly along with me here. You'll see a lot of scripture references. Maybe they'll come up on the screen, maybe not. Maybe you'll have to go home and read them. It's all good. But let's look at a story, if you will, Absalom, Adnan, and Tamar. In 2 Samuel 13, it says, Now David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar, and Amnon, his half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became what? Ill. She was a virgin, and Amnon thought he could never have her. Thus begins a story that will lead ultimately to the demise of Absalom, lead to Tamar suffering shame, and will lead to the loss to David of two sons. What's the point? Well, one is... Life hurts. Life hurts. Life hurts. Every one of us will have experiences in our life, some self-inflicted, yes, some that are put on us by others. And our response to that pain can be a righteous response or it can be a destructive response. Today I'm going to focus, unfortunately, on the ways we respond in the negative. Then I'm going to give you several weeks to think about what you've done. 
I'm just teasing. That was a joke. <laughs> and then we'll come back and look at what the scripture says and how we deal with those kinds of things. In verse 10, it says, Amnon said to Tamar, bring, bring food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took her favorite dish to him. But as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, come to bed with me, my darling sister. Well, you know, there's, I left out a whole bunch of stuff there. You know, he went to his dad and said, would you send her over? I'm, I'm feeling sick. Why did he come up with the idea? One of his friends suggested it. You could preach a whole sermon on company <laughs> and friends. And King David gives permission. And so all of these things, it's a plot. Look at verse 12. It says, no, my brother, she cried, don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. Uh, where could I go in my shame? And you'll be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Just speak to the king about it, and he'll let me marry you. And believe me, marrying didn't seem to be a big issue there when you look at the number of people that, you know, David, how many wives? And his son, many more, 700. That's a lot of ceremonies. <laughs> But Amnon wouldn't listen to her, and since he was stronger than her, he raped her. Then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he'd loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. You know, <laughs> this is a no charge. It's not in my notes, so Chris, you won't find it. When we have premarital affairs, extramarital affairs, there is always the danger of love becoming hate. You see, the Bible talks about the fact that when we engage in sexual union, two become one flesh. And it's not just a physical connection, it's a spiritual one. And think then when we pull apart, there's a tearing, which is why so many people are broken. Now, I'm not going to let you wait two weeks on that and wonder, is it okay? God forgives and God heals. But when we understand, it can't just be one of those, oh, I'll just do it. There is a consequence. And we see it right here. Here is a person who thinks he's burning with love. Well, what's he really burning with? Lust. And once lust is fulfilled, it sours. And suddenly that taste that would seem so sweet is now so bitter. Look at verse 20. It says, Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard what has happened, he was angry and did nothing. And did nothing. You don't see that and did nothing there. You've got to read seven chapters to find out he did nothing. And though Absalom never spoke to Ammon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Here's the background. David knows about this rape 
for two years and does nothing. Absalom waits two years for his dad to do something, and the whole time, guess what he's thinking about? I'm going to plot a way. So verse 23, two years later, Absalom invited all the king's son to come to a feast. Absalom pressed the king, but the king would not come, though he gave Absalom his blessing. Well, then Absalom said, if you can't come, how about sending my brother Amnon with us? Warning. Dude, if you're in tune with your family dynamics, you know the two of them aren't really getting along. You might want to show up. I wonder, I don't know, we don't know, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't always tell us motive, but you wonder why Absalom kept inviting the king. Who knows, maybe what was planned. Maybe it was planned, we're going to confront it. Absalom pre kept pressing the king until he finally agreed to let all the sons attend, including Amnon. Absalom prepared a feast fit for a king that didn't come. Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk, and then at my signal, kill him. Don't be afraid. I'm the one who's given the command. Take courage and do it. So at Absalom's signal, they murdered Amnon. Then the other sons of the king jumped on their mules and fled. That I just picture as being funny. If I'm fleeing, I'm not jumping on a mule. <laughs> just me. <laughs> you know, if one of my half-brothers was just killed by another one of my brothers or half-brothers, I'm running. But anyway, they lived in a different time. They jumped on their mules. At the same time, Absalom flees to Geshur, remaining there for three years. Guess what? David makes no attempt to reconcile. So now, what are we? Let's do the math. We're five years out from the event. Absalom had two years to mull it over for things to sour in his spirit. I think the Bible knows what it says when it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What if you let it go down for two years at 365 days a year? Do you think that might really be sour? It was so sour it led to murder. Verse 37 David mourned many days for his son Amnon. Did that strike you as odd? You're, you're mourning for a son that raped one of your daughters. Explain that one to me. Absalom fled to his grandfather. He stayed in Geshur three years, and David, now reconciled to Ammon's death, longed to be united with his son Absalom. Did he do anything about it? So he dealt with the death of one son, finally got to where he could address it emotionally or whatever he needed to do, but he still couldn't do anything. So then along comes Joab, the commander of David's army. And he uses a woman and says, Go represent yourself to the king and the story was she appeared and said king I had two sons they got in a fight one 
No one was there to stop him. One killed the other one, and now everybody's demanding my one remaining son's life. He's all the la- I have. He's the last burning ember of my family. That's what she says. What am I supposed to do? And he says, I'll protect that one. I'll, I'll do it. And she says, are you sure? Yes, I will. I can assure you. Are you sure? Absolutely. Why are you doing for me what you won't do for your own kingdom? And the next thing, David doesn't say, oh, what are you talking about? What's he say? Did Joab put you up to this? Which tells me Joab had been talking to him about, you've got a son out there that you've been estranged from for five years. You maybe want to deal with that. Second Samuel 14, 23, Joab went to Geshur, brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. Why? Because the king finally said, okay, go get him. But the king gave this order. Absalom may go to his own house, but may never come into my presence. <laughs> so Absalom didn't see the king. So why did he bring it back? I mean, do you just when I said David's skills as a father were, yeah. Now, let's go to the timeline, verse 28. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years, but he never got to see the king. Let's do the math. Two, three, two. We're seven years out. Absalom sent to Joab to ask him to intercede for him. Now Joab refuses to come. So Absalom sent for him a second time, but Joab refused to come. So Absalom said to his servants, go and set fire to Joab's field the field next to mine. So they set his field on fire as Absalom had commanded. Then Joab came to Absalom in his house and demanded, why did your servant set my field on fire? Hello? I've been over here for two years trying to get your attention. Do you see what happens when pain is not addressed properly? And Absalom replied, because I wanted to ask the king why he brought me back if he didn't intend to see me. Verse 33. At last David summoned Absalom, who came and bowed low before the king, and the king kissed him. This isn't in the scripture, but I'm going to add it. But it was too late. It was too late. Absalom now vows to wage a full-scale rebellion against his father. And he almost succeeds. Now, the four more years go by. Do the math. Where are we? Now we're 11 years into this event. This unaddressed family event. 11 years. So what he does for four years? Every day he gets up. Goes out near the city gate. Are you coming to see the king about something? Yeah, he's really busy. What's your issue? Talk to me. I'm his son. Well, if I was king, here's how I'd rule. If I was king, here's how I'd rule. If I was king, and they'd always want to bow down to him and say, oh, thank you. Say, no, no. And he'd hug him. Four years. Four years. Second Samuel 15. After four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill a vow I made to him. 
All right, the king told him, go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron, but while he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, the message read, you are to say, Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. Bottom line, even though Absalom's behavior is wrong and he pays the price for it, it came seven years after his sister was raped and David had done nothing. And now we're 11 years in, and he's leading a rebellion. Why was David a poor father? That's B, I think. <laughs> Some of you are worried. David, first of all, was the youngest of eight sons. What happens when you're number eight? Jill's dad, <laughs> he always told the story. When he went to school, they kept calling his name, and he didn't respond. He finally said, who are you? He said, I'd always been called boy. <laughs> and so when, when they called his name, he didn't react or didn't respond. He was the youngest of eight sons. Just say, well, okay. Uh, but why is that significant? Well, you remember uh, when Samuel was coming and said, bring your sons? He brought seven of them. Guess who got left out? What does that say when the known prophet of God says to you, bring your sons and you're not invited? What does that tell you about how your dad views you? There's no value. That's in 1 Samuel 17. Do you realize every close male authority figure rejected David? Every close male authority figure rejected him. Samuel rejected him by dying. You'll say, is death rejection? Yeah, it's not intentional, but it's, it's, it's how it's perceived. It's how it feels. Samuel died right after anointing him as king. We know his father rejected him. 1 Samuel 16. And uh, we know in 1 Samuel 17, his oldest brother rejected him when he should have protected him. In uh, verse 28 of 1 Samuel 17, it says, When David's oldest brother, Eliah, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? What are these few sheep? What about the few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. He should have been saying to the guys, leave my little brother alone. What message is getting sent? Rejection, rejection, rejection. Then guess where he ends up? Who's, who's he end up going to help? King Saul. Saul gets upset. Bring that guy, he plays the, the harp. It calms me down. What's Saul try to do to him? 1 Samuel 18 There was a song, Samuel has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. This made Saul angry. What's this? They credit David with ten thousand and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him king. That's right. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp, as he did each day. Why did he do it? Because this guy had issues. But Saul had a spear in his hand. He suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped. What do you think 
when the person you're serving who says, I need you here because when I am troubled by these tormenting spirits, you're playing, soothe me. Oh, by the way, I'm trying to kill you. David never had a positive father or father figure or role model in his life. David also was a poor father because he would not face his pain. You see, he never told anyone. He never sought any help. He suffered quietly while his family collapsed around him. Which leads us to truth number four about greatness. Every great person has to rise above the pain of their past to reach their God-given destiny. Every great person has to rise above the pain of the past. What did I say to start? Life hurts. If you live, you're going to have hurts. And hurts is pain. And every great person has to rise above the pain of their past to reach their God-given destiny. So in the remainder of our time, I want to talk about four non-curing things people do with pain. That's kind of a mouthful, non-curing things. In other words, things you do that don't help. Number one, they medicate it. They medicate it. Here, let me give an example. First Chronicles 14, David married more wives in Jerusalem, and they had more sons and daughters. Why, why did he keep getting married? He was looking for some level of satisfaction. It is certainly beyond sexual. He keeps having kids. He's maybe thinking, well, somewhere here we'll find an answer. What, is, what, is, what are behaviors that medicate? Well, obviously we can think of substance abuse, alcohol, drugs. I submit to you that obsessive compulsive behavior is a pattern of pain. And I should have Chris or maybe BB talk about this. Denial is the cornerstone of addiction. They medicate pain. Number two, they motivate it. That means they get involved in ceaseless actions, ceaseless activities. First uh, King seven. Solomon built a palace for himself, and it took him 13 years to complete the construction. What else had he just built? He built the palace, and he built the temple. And then he kept building. This is Mark O'Connell. And poor Jill had to live with me for years motivating to deal with the rejection spirit that was on me. I just thought if I showed up at work earlier and stayed the longest and did the most and had the longest resume and look what I've done and physically built was part of it. I motivated. You see, the person that motivates, they distract themselves through busyness of their career or of sports or hobbies. Anything that becomes out of balance can be something that is used to motivate. It's the aholic, workaholic, doaholic. Don't do anything that makes you stop and have silence, because if you have silence, then you have to listen to what the voice is saying. 
Number three, they meditate it. I mentioned this verse earlier, Ephesians 4. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Internalized pain can become a life focus. Check Absalom. Do you know how he died? He died in a rebellion against his father. He died when the thing that he was proud of, his hair, said he only cut it once a year. It was so beautiful. Everybody just, I, I admire his hair. I, I'd love to have some. Every haircut, he said he lost five pounds. I, I'm not making that up. That's what the scripture says. That when he cut his hair once a year, weighed five pounds. That's a lot of hair. And the thing that he was proud of got caught in a, tree that's a lot of hair never have to worry about that happening here Satan will use your unresolved anger your unresolved bitterness to increase pain and increase division in your life and your family what do people do they medicate it, they motivate it, they meditate it, and number four, they transfer it to their kids. They transfer it to their children. David transferred his pain to Absalom, who became a meditator. He thought about it. He thought about it. He thought about it. He schemed. He transferred it to Solomon, who became a medicator. 700 wives. That, that's a medication action right there. Solomon also was a motivator. He built, he built, he built, he built. So between... Finding a new wife and building something, he didn't have to think about the pain. What do we do with pain? We medicate it, we motivate it, we meditate it, we transfer it to our kids. So how do, what do we conclude today? Well, first of all, greatness is found on the battlefield. And we also said great people take responsibility for mistakes, becoming better through them. Last week, we talked about every great person is a worshiper of God, paying the price to become one. And today, if you want to be great, you must rise above your past pain to reach your God-given destiny. Next time I share with you, we're going to talk about what God wants us to do with our pain. And I don't want you to maul over for, for the next several weeks. Well, I wonder which one am I. But I will tell you, it's very insightful. If you look at your behaviors, you look at your thinking, you'll discover that in areas, all of us, all of us have areas that we've had pain that's unaddressed. And we've addressed it in ways that doesn't resolve it. Some of you know that I went and visited my friend Robbie last I don't know. Was it December? Has it been that long? Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, he, he said, what do you want to talk about? I said, there's one thing and two people I can't let go of. 
It was an event 11 years before. And it was obsessing my mind. I knew I needed to address it. And so I found a friend that I could confess it to who could pray with me. And it was amazing. Even my people that I work with at my other job say, we don't know what happened to you in Los Angeles, but you're a different person. When I addressed my pain, my behavior changed, and people that do not know God saw it. Every great person must rise above their past pain. Rise above the rejection. Rise above all of those things to be who God wants you to be. Father, thank you. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for the example that we see in David. Thank you for speaking to us through that. Pastor Chris is going to come and share and close our time. Uncover, discover, recover. Uncover, discover, recover. Thank you, Mark. That was really good. Um, I don't think there's probably anybody in the room or at home, online, walking around, in church, out of church, rich, poor, that has not felt rejected. And I listen to that story and the way that Mark presents it and really looking between the lines and you can acknowledge and look in your mirror and realize all the times of your own rejection in your own life. And like Mark talked about, a few of those things and the cornerstone of addiction and, you know, being so much that I struggle with that. And, the, and the, the method that I had to learn was I had to uncover that pain and show it and discover the causes of it so that I could recover from it. And until I did that, I was just stuck in a bondage that went on forever. And I'm really looking forward to three weeks from now when Mark finishes... David, the wounded son, part two. You get to hear me bore you the next two weeks. Um, I'm really excited for what God's doing in this church. I'm really excited for the future of this church. We're going to continue speaking life into this church. I'm excited that this week we had children's ministry. I'm encouraged by that. Every Sunday when we come in here, before all of you get here, the enemy is against us and things are not working. And we come in... And the Spirit of God comes out, and the swords come out, and we fight off the technical difficulties, and we have it up and running well before you get here. But that spiritual side of that is looking at that warfare and realizing that we're in a battle, that the enemy wants us to feel defeated. The enemy doesn't want you to hear what you heard today for 30 minutes when Mark got up here and talked about that message, because that message had the power to help set you free from your pain and help you take a better look at what's going on inside of your life. And the enemy wants to try to do anything he can to stop you from hearing the message that's going to help you be set more free. And so I was greatly encouraged today. It was a great message. And I want to close this. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this local church, Lord. We are your body, Lord. And we believe that you're going to grow this body where we burst at the seams in the near future, Lord. This, this is a church that we're growing, we're believing, 
We're trusting and we're following you, Lord, and we're going to keep showing up every week and we're going to keep doing what you want us to do, Lord, and we know that you're going to bless and take care of that. And we know that you're going to do the supernatural as long as we keep doing what we can here in the natural. And Father, I thank you for our children's ministry. I thank you for the children that came. I thank you for visitors, guests, new people, anybody watching online. Give us six weeks. We pray it, right, Lord? Tell them, Lord. Put it in their heart when they go home. Give it six weeks. Keep coming back. And then make a decision whether you think this is where God wants you to be or not. That's what we did, and that's why we're still here. And we praise you for that, Lord Jesus. We thank you. I thank you in advance. I pray a blessing on all this church fellowship, Lord. Send them all on their way. Bless them this week. Remind them of this message, Lord. Remind them of who you are, that you're their God. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.